Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Chief Shannon Stone, 32-year veteran of the fire service, started as a backstep firefighter and rose to the rank of battalion chief in Fort Walton Beach Fire Department, where he retired, now serving as a division chief of operations with the Midway Fire District. Chief Stone is a firefighter's kind of chief, no-nonsense leadership who never forgot what it's like to be one of the boots on the ground. If you have never listened to Chief Stone's speech on your children's standard size up, you need to. With that, I present Mr. Shannon Stone. Uh, my name is Shannon Stone. Uh, I'm from the uh, the Panhandle of Florida, right uh, right outside. I work right outside of Pensacola, Florida, um, and retired from the next city over, which is the city of Fort Walton Beach, which is about a uh, 20 25 minute ride from Pensacola. Um, so the question is is uh, how did I get into the fire service? Um, well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my father was a fireman as well. He retired in 1994. And uh, I grew up, you know, around firefighters my whole life. And But uh, ironically enough, I never really thought about pursuing this career. Um, for whatever reason, my parents uh, divorced when I was around 13. So uh, I, my mind was on a lot of other things other than what I was going to do as an adult. So um Although I was in and out of the firehouse quite a bit, uh, when I graduated from high school, um, I had no desire, I had no interest, at least at the time, of being a fireman. And uh, quickly after high school, I mean, like very quickly, within probably four or five months, uh, I realized quickly I didn't want to work in a fast food joint the rest of my life. So um, I decided to go back to uh, or go to community college at the time, a junior college locally where I live. So I asked my parents, my mom did not have the money. And my dad was, uh, at the time, he was the deputy chief of operations. So he, he made, you know, back then, made pretty decent money. Um, he would not pay for my college. He said he wasn't going to pay for the college, which I thought was, uh, I was not happy about. But he offered to pay to send me to the fire academy if I was interested in doing that. So... Uh, I didn't know what to do, really, you know, and I sat and talked to my my then girlfriend, who now 30 some odd years later is my wife. Um, and I remember her telling me, she's like, well, what else are you going to do? Like, just go try it. You know, if nothing else, if they've got a great schedule, 2448, go do that until you figure out what you want to do. So I said, OK, I'll do it. And then I went to the fire academy and I was in that academy maybe two weeks and just like, you know, had no idea what I was missing. I mean, how how interested I came in it so quickly and then really that that was that was it that was that was the rest is history uh, so I guess you'd say and uh, I fell in love with it and I never looked back and ironically enough I have a younger brother who's on the job also he just retired two and a half weeks ago from the same department I, I retired from and is <clears throat> doing a similar career path that I'm doing he is he has uh, went to work for another department here in the panhandle a really good department as a uh, division chief of training but he used to ride with my dad all the time. He went to a bunch of fires. He would jump on my dad's, you know, chief's buggy and, and go with him. And, but he didn't pursue the fire department until 10 years after he got out of high school, where I was the opposite. I didn't really do that. I coincidentally fell into it because I felt that was my best option and I didn't want to do nothing. Uh, he eventually got into it 10 years later and uh, the rest is history of him. And he loves the job and is doing well. But yeah, that's how I kind of, that's how I just, I kind of, you know, fell into it, even though with my father, you know, that was a part of it. It just never was on my radar until I was forced to grow up very quickly and figure out how to pay bills. And fortunately, that took me to something that I just fell in love with. I mean, I really did. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've got uh, three kids. My daughter's uh, married and in school, done an amazing husband, doing great. Uh, she's in the, the healthcare uh, industry. And then I have two boys, one just graduated and one's due to graduate in a year or two. And they're trying to figure out what they want to do. And I've told them, I said, listen, man, whether it's fire department or anything else, just find something you love. Like if you find something you love, you, you're going to be in a small percentage of people, I think, in this country that they get to do something they love doing and get paid for it. So whether they follow the fire service, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, regardless, as long as they find something they really want to do, I'll be happy for them. So, yeah, that's that's kind of like a, you know, a short history of how I started many years ago. Okay. Okay. And um, so what was the culture like within 
midway because um, I'm assuming you started from the bottom and, and worked your way up, correct? I did. I've worked every rank um, up into the rank that I'm at now. Okay. Um, so w- what was the culture like in, uh, with Midway <clears throat> as you started and then before you left? How how has it transitioned? Well, uh, well, so I'll go back a little bit. I started my career in Destin, Florida, which some may or may not know where that's at. Most people kind of know where it's at because it's a big vacation community here in the panhandle of Florida. Um, I started there and spent three and a half years there. And then I went to the city of Fort Walton Beach, which is where I spent the bulk of my career, 20, 25 years in the city working there. Um, and the culture when I came in was of like a lot of stories. It's a relatively young department. It went paid. First paid guy was hired in late 40s, early 50s, uh, went fully paid in the late 70s. Um, so it's, you know, in the scheme of ages of fire department, it's not an old fire department, but nonetheless, it had been you know, several generations that had retired out by the time I went to work there. So there was a traditional type, you know, in a culture. And although it wasn't a bad one, it wasn't what I would call what we would want right now and today, as far as a very proactive culture, like many fire departments, they, you know, they were, uh, they only knew what they knew inside their bubble. They didn't really get out a lot. You know, they're sitting in an echo chamber listening to each other. Um, over the years, when I got there, myself and a handful of other young guys um, really started getting outside of our local area and realizing what we didn't know. And then we had a lot, we had some good officers there too. They, they grew up in that system that cultivated that, encouraged it, and they did it. So it was happening before I came in. Um, but we did see over the, probably the first 10 years I was there, a major culture change. There were several reasons guys were getting outside their bubble realizing what they didn't know, realizing there was ways that we should be doing it a lot better. Um, you know, we had guys that were there that were senior guys that wanted that. And then we, when I first got hired, the first time the city had went outside to hire a chief and that was a game changer. You know, once that happened, he brought outside perspectives that we were never exposed to. And, and that was, if I had to nail down two of the biggest, uh, change agents that created a very, um, proactive culture was the, uh, an outside chief coming in that had that mindset. And then the, you know, a group of guys that were set and determined to learn more about the fire department, more than what they offer here in the panhandle. Fast forward many years later, the, that fire department that I retired from has a, a very proactive, aggressive uh, search culture and extinguishment culture. Um, they've, they've got a pretty strong reputation here in the panhandle for being that type of department, um, which is why a lot of times people are attracted to it, not so much for the pay and the benefits, but more so the culture. Unfortunately, it, it's a very fractured system over there where it was a bunch of small departments that work together. Mm-hmm. So it was like three battalions, like 17 stations, all in the south end of the county, split amongst like eight or nine fire departments. So you could go, you know, one mile into another district and you not being there would never know. You'd think you're in the same area, but you would be going to another fire district that have a totally different culture. So it was a it's definitely a challenge, you know, um, but, but the culture in general, you know, it, it was, it was good and has developed and they've gone in the three years I've been gone. They've had some challenges with city politics and some areas and, and talking to people that, you know, the, the concerns of maybe losing the culture a little bit because of outside dynamics. So mm-hmm. for me, looking back, it just kind of reiterates the, you know, how, how sensitive a culture can shift cultures and subcultures within an organization, especially in small organizations, you know, um, they can change quickly to get better, but they can also change pretty quickly to, to lose parts of it as well. If that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I mi- I misquote, I-, I asked you about midway, but you actually ro- worked your way through the ranks in Fort Walton beach fire department. Yes. Um, uh, so for those that don't know, what is the size of Fort Walton Beach? How many stations do you have? The city only has two stations. The Fort Walton Beach area has seven stations. So it's a small area. It's an older area, um, not in terms of the big cities old, but I mean, it's been there quite some time. Uh, heavy military influence. We're surrounded by two major military uh, bases. One, the largest Air Force base in the world, Eglin Air Force Base. And then on the other side of us, uh, the Special Ops Base, uh, Robert. Uh, Herbert Field, which runs the special ops and all the wars. <clears throat> so we have a heavy, heavy military presence and we're kind of landlocked with the bases. Uh, the interesting thing is a small area, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of odd. It does a considerable amount of work 
um, next to Escambia County. It's probably second behind Escambia County as far as, you know, the stuff that goes on. Um, but it's but it's a smaller area. You know, it's your typical, you know, sub slash urban fire department. We've got tight areas downtown and then we have the normal suburban America. Um, and working in a fractured system where you'll have three departments at every structure fire. Although we have pretty good staffing or typically on all the rigs, you know, all of you know stations within two to three miles apart. So we can, we have good staffing and quick responses, but because of the separate departments, it doesn't quite operate like you would think. Right. It operates very much a suburban sequence based type thing, which, you know, works, um, but can work better in areas like we are, where we're kind of densely populated in a small area. Um, so if I had to describe it, I would say it's like your normal American fire department, to be honest with you. you know? Okay. 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 Um, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and continue loving this job? That's a great question. Um, I would tell you throughout my career, especially the last 10 years uh, before I retired and came here where I'm at now, um, a lot of it, it's really simple, man. I just surrounded myself with the right people. You know, and a lot of people ask those, you know, ask questions that, you know, where, where it's challenging, where they get demotivated. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer and you really kind of control your own destiny to a certain extent. You know, I mean, once once you can identify there's a problem, then the excuses to not fix the problem in my mind are kind of gone. You know, I've raised my children like that. And I say that to say this, that once you're in an environment where it sucks and you're trying to motivate yourself, once you identify that problem, the solution is out there. You just got to go grab it. So for me, it was, I just really surrounded myself with uh, those that, that were into the job. And, and even if I didn't have it necessarily at my work at times, um, I really dug deep into to instructing the last 10 years of my career for so the last 15 or so I've been heavily involved in instructing. And that opened a lot of doors for me to teach in different parts of the country. And it just every time I did it, even when I was teaching, I was learning something, you know, you, you're getting perspectives of people all across the country that do it differently that you can bring back. So, I mean, I learned as much as I as I taught, to be honest with you. And, and that really kept me motivated because I constantly was out with people that were excited about the job, that had a passion for the job. And I would go back to my job and deal with some frustrations and they were easier. They were easier to process and to deal with if That makes sense. Now. Where I'm at now, it's very unique. I was hired here um, in Midway Fire District, which is right outside of Pensacola. It's a small fire district that's expanding pretty rapidly with several others that we work closely with just because of the population boom here in, in this part of Florida. Um, but I was brought in to basically uh, help the expansion and to develop or continue to develop the operational culture. So I had never thought I would do this. In fact, I worked uh, 14 years in Scambia County. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're mm -hmm. the county in Pensacola. I worked 14 years over there as a fireman, uh, part-time and as a paramedic. And I was already in the state pension system. So my plan was just to go ahead and go full-time there. And I could do five years and get a pension with them, a full pension. But uh, when this opportunity came up and, and uh, I was kind of recruited over here, um, it was very interesting and intriguing because they want me to come over and do the stuff that you're having me on the podcast to talk about the things right. that guys are into the job and, you know, an operational discipline and stuff like that. So I, I jokingly have said that, you know, I've talked to talk for years and been the guy that's kind of criticized, you know, how fire departments are run or how chiefs set the culture and the organization and operational discipline. Well, now I'm in a position where I've got to walk the walk. I'm three years into it. And to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's going really, really well. Um, but I have a unique opportunity here to serve to serve the firefighters, which, to be perfectly honest with you, I just had this conversation with with my admin chief yesterday. And, uh, you know, I'm probably the biggest fan of firefighters. I do not like using the word heroes because it just to me, you know, firemen don't want to hear. We just don't want to hear. But if I had to pin down one group of people that I think that I look up to, it's just firemen in general. And mm -hmm what these guys do on a daily basis, what they're willing to do, what they go through, the sacrifices they make and everything else. And then me being in a position where I get to serve them, you know, and I get to help set the operational culture, you know, and it's just not me doing it quite honestly. It's a, a huge group team effort of bringing these guys together and help helping improve the culture and set the culture. And so for me to get to the point, I guess that to me at this point in my career is the most motivating thing is, is serving these guys every day I come in, trying to do something to make it better uh, for them. 
So um, it's super motivating because I'm in an organization, I'm in an county now that's not fractured. Uh, it's not toxic like I was dealing with some with in my other job when it comes to some of the mutual aid relations. We have this exact opposite. Everybody embraces it over here. So it's it's unbelievably motivating, to be honest with you. Um, we work with in what's called the Fire Alliance. So we work with three other fire departments that we run automatic aid with, and they all have the same thoughts, the same cultures. They, we they welcome it. Chiefs over there see it the same way we see it over here. And it's just, it's amazing. So I'm just really lucky to be a point in my career where I don't have to necessarily get outside of my box to get motivated. I mean, every day I come into work, um, it's, it's, it's exciting, you know, cause I've been empowered, uh, to do what, you know, we think should be done in the American fire service, you know, and, and it brings value to it. I feel like I'm value. I feel like, you know, what we're doing as a, as a team is making a difference. So, yeah. So for, you know, previously it was a lot of getting outside my bubble, man, a lot of drawing a lot of the guys from my department out to teaching and taking classes and exposing ourselves to positive things. And then now it's, it's, you know, my motivation certainly is comes from within uh, our organization that we have here at Midway, you know, great group of people. Then it's a small organization. Here's the thing, man, in a small organization, the excuses are out the window for chiefs. And I can feel like I can criticize chiefs because I'm, you know, in my department, I'm the second highest ranking guy, so I, I can be critical on chiefs, including people like myself. And in a small organization, the excuses are out the window, man, to, to not be able to make a positive impact. You know, I just in a larger one, it's much more difficult. Mm -hmm. It certainly can be done. But when you're managing a, you know, a two or three station department up to a 10 station department, th th there are no excuses not to make a positive impact, in my opinion. So, OK, Um with that being said, uh, you or I'm sorry, your we are the last resort speech. Um, I so in my department, I um, I'm fortunate where anytime we get new recruits, I pretty much came up with a, a presentation that talks about um, not just the benefit package, how much we get paid, um, your 401k, your dental, all that. I, I came up with a presentation that shows what exactly it entails when you become a firefighter, the stuff that HR doesn't talk to you about, your calls, what you're going to see, your sacrifice to your family, things like that. I included that speech. It is the last thing that they see before the PowerPoint presentation is over. My question to you is after you did that speech, um, did you make yourself a target with showing how passionate you are towards the mindset you need to have as a as not just a firefighter, but as a company officer or battalion chief? I'm assuming you're referring to, uh, there's something I do in my classes on a regular basis, talking about sizing yourself up by your children's standards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, that's a good question, man. Um, did I make myself a target? Yeah. I think with some people, not in my own organization at all, okay. you okay. know, uh, cause I've been, I've been saying that, you know, for a very long time, like I said, I've, you know, I've got three kids, the oldest is 23, the youngest is about to turn 16 in less than a month. Um, so, you know, having children obviously put a whole different perspective, like most firefighters, most men, it, if children don't change your life, then something's wrong. Nothing will. Right, right. Right, yes. right. Uh, you know, so since they were little, you know, um, it's, it's always been on my forefront you know, uh, and I've always kind of said in the last 10, 15 years, you know, when I started teaching, I just started sharing some of my own personal philosophy that I gained from learning from others. And that was one of them. So within my own organization, no, I would say not at all. In fact, it was embraced in my organization. And to this day, I think, you know, I'm gone. People still say the same thing. And it's not because I said it. It's just because it's, it's legit, man. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you want to be your very best on their worst day. And and obviously you can you can have discussions all day long about complacency and how hard you train and everything else. But once you take your child or someone that you love, you know, if you lost them, your world would change in a heartbeat and you put them in that place. And now you have the conversation with somebody, no matter whether the person is a non-motivated firefighter, a motivated firefighter, you know, you can't really argue against it. They're all going to want to be at their best, you know, to save their loved one. Where I think I became a little bit of a target in my mutual aid fractured system is just uh, certain chiefs having agendas, you know, that they didn't agree with my outlook on some things. Um, and then as I gained time and seniority, you know, um, obviously you get a little bit more opinionated, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and retrospectively looking back, probably the way I handled stuff and in my opinions probably could have been handled a little bit differently, which would have made me less of a target. So was the message create more of a target? Now, I don't know if the message was. It's, it's probably like most firefighters could tell you as they get older and they reflect back that they could probably handle things a little differently, would have made them less of a target. Um, but but to a certain extent, um, yes, you you do kind of become a target with some people. I think I've got a different take than a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are embrace the whole, you know, being the target and everything else. And and I totally get it. I've just taken a different approach as I get older. Mm-hmm. If people view that way, then I really kind of go out of my way to have conversations with them to get them to understand the perspectives. And most everything revolves around relationships. And once you start building that, you would certainly become less of a target. And then in my position now as, as the ops chief, as a buddy of mine, Steve Shaw, who works in Fort Lauderdale, who does a podcast for fire engineering as well. We had one a while back. And, and in his words, you know, he said, you know, our, our words have weight at this level. Right. You got to think about how you communicate. You got to think about what you say. You know, and he also said something. I've texted him, you know, a while back after a podcast because I found myself thinking of this when I was dealing with an issue. He's like, you know, how you react to things is going to define you. I was like, wow, you know, man. I knew that, but just the way you said it and what we were talking about has a whole different meaning to it, not just in fire service, but in life in general, right? Right. All that plays into becoming a target. Not not, not necessarily the message 100% a lot of times. I think people think a lot of times it's a message, but it's usually the way the message is being sent, if that makes sense. Yes. But absolutely. I mean, now I'm, you know, I'm 52, almost probably 53, another couple months. I think if you're watching and you're studying, you're constantly trying to self-analyze, you'll look back and reflect and you'll, you'll have a little bit of wisdom and you can look back on things and go, wow, okay. Yeah. I kind of see how I put myself in that position or I kind of see why somebody may have thought that based on my actions. Mm-hmm. You know, you almost wish you could take what you know now at 53, the wisdom and go back and replay and back. it. Right. <laughs> It'd be so much easier. It'd be so much more fun, you know? Uh, but that's, that's life, right? I mean, that's any part of life. I mean, whether you're raising kids, you're, your marriage, I mean, you get more wisdom, you look back, you're going to see what you could do differently. Now my mission is, is I have these conversations for those that are open to it with coaching and mentoring about it. You know, we have a lot of conversations about, hey, man, you know, you're you're 32, you're a young officer. Here's some things I want you to think about. You know, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm saying this is what happened to me. And one thing I've learned in the fire service is the firefighters are very predictable, extremely predictable. Most everything is predictable. Even when you gain experience running fires, I mean, that's just why you see some really good incident commanders because they have got a lot of experience and they studied it and everything becomes much more predictable, including firefighter behavior. Because if you look at firefighters, and I'm kind of going off in a rabbit hole, but if you look no, you're at fine. firefighters and you look at the way they behave, you know, or the things that they do, and then after you get an amount of time in, you can look back and go, I have seen this 20 times over. Different, different circus you know, same circus, different clowns. It's, it's the same behavior. So, right. you know, predictable, as we would say in the training realm, you know, once it's once it's uh, predictable, it's preventable. And it's the same with behavior, you know. Um, and there's a lot of things that, that we do from a leadership perspective, behavioral-wise now, um, that I wish I would have known when I was much younger. And okay. I wish some of the bosses that I worked for would have known. I think, okay. I think they would have been better productive bosses and they would have helped me develop sooner. So anyhow, yeah, I don't know the answer to the question. I kind of went off in the rabbit hole on that, but no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Which leads me to my next question. The mindset that you have, has it always been there? Because I can tell you as a firefighter looking at you as a company officer or a chief officer, if we had more either company officers or chief officers with that kind of mindset, departments would go very far. Like, cause, um, one example was, I can't remember where I heard it, but you stated like, if, if you're not measuring up, you expect the, the men under you that, that, that report to you to go, Hey chief, like you're, you're, you're kind of messing up. You know what I mean? Like you don't hear chiefs that will acknowledge that very often. Well, I'll give you two answers. One, have, has it always kind of been there? Yeah, to a certain extent it has. I mean, more so now and more so as I gained experience and I, and I understood the impact of what we do. And, and the reason it was probably there is my father, you know, oddly enough, over the years, we haven't talked a whole lot about the fire department, which is really kind of odd. 
but he he retired as a, as an ops chief and worked his way up through the ranks in a, in a department there in Fort Walton where I had a different department in Fort Walton. But we ran all the time daily. Every single day we run with his department. Um, and he he was very operationally disciplined and he had a really good reputation for knowing what he was doing. And he was very strict and he didn't take shit from anybody. And that really came from his work ethic. And that's something that I, I think I got from him coming right into the job, you know, um, and that like, hey, man, you, you got to take it serious. You know, you got to be good at this job. Now, I didn't know what good was when I came in, to be honest with you. I just knew that I, I had to work hard, like everything else that my dad expected me to do. Um, as I gained time and experience um, and I understood more of the value of it, it became more and more important. I had kids that changed the dynamic. You know, I, you know, I, I run some bad calls, guys, people died in fires. Now, all of a sudden, it hits you like, holy shit. Like, this is real. Like, this is real life and death. Like, people die on this. And right. they die based on our actions, you know. And you don't think about that necessarily unless you have somebody coming in, drilling in your head right off the bat as a company officer, you know, or you experience it. The very first fire, I, I've kind of been a black Kyle most of my career, my whole career, to be honest with you. But the very first call I had was an entrapment call. Within, like, first two weeks, I got hired. In a department, they really don't go to a whole lot of fires. It's, mm -hmm. I'm honest with you, man, it scared me the shit out of me. I mean, we pulled up, and they're pulling on your coat. And I talk about this call in my class, you know, and, and they're screaming that if people are inside and, you know, down power lines are popping next to you. You got fire blowing out of multiple windows, you know, and, and I at that point in time, I just remember thinking I need to get out of here. Like, I can't do this. Like this, this is this is ridiculous. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, you're in it. You can't change it. And I think I had the same thoughts that most firefighters would have. And the officer just looked at me and said, let's go follow me. And that's all I needed. And we went and did it. There was nobody trapped, but it was my first taste of like, holy crap, like this is, this is serious stuff. So, it, so to answer that question, it evolved, you know, over, over time, you know, the second part of the question is you may mention about, you know, having people tell you stuff that you want them to come talk to you about that maybe they normally wouldn't, you know, a big part of being a good leader is having some type of self-awareness. Now, no matter how much you try I don't think you can have a total self-awareness. You really can't. I mean, even you read the leadership books, they say the same thing. But if you don't make a, a forward deliberate effort to do that, then you're missing out on an opportunity. And I've told, you know, I was a battalion chief. I told my guys this when I got hired here, you know, I gave a set of, you know, like one page expectations to my battalion chiefs because they were my direct reports. And obviously, you know, they're, they're the first conduit and, and getting, you know, buy off and, and making change. And then the, the next biggest step after them are the biggest point of the company officers, which are the swing agent period. Like they are the most important, you know, spoke in the wheel of that. But my first of the time chiefs and the written expectations, and I've, I've got it down in, in writing, you know, still to this day is I expect them to communicate deliberate with me. And I expect them to tell me what I need to hear, but I may not want to hear. And I'll do the same with them. Um, and it's, it's evolved over three years now where it was really odd for them at first to do that because they weren't used to it. And as you would expect, they were a little bit skeptical, totally understand. And I told them that, I said, listen, man, trust isn't going to be built overnight. Trust is going to be built through our actions. I'm asking you to give me a chance and I'm asking you to give me an opportunity to prove myself. Judge me six months from now. Don't judge me now, but this is what I expect you to do. And you'll see the first time you come into me and you have that tough conversation, you say, hey, chief, you know, I think what you're doing, this decision that you're making, I think is, is not the best decision. I think it's going to have a negative impact. Because the second question that I told him I'm going to ask him is say, if not that, then what? Chief Thompson says it all the time. If not this, then what? Mm -hmm. Okay, if that's not, then what's the solution? What are we thinking here? What am I missing? And then building that, that trusting environment with your people, um, it, it gives you a very unique opportunity to stay in front of things before they get to the point where they're hard to deal with. It gives you the opportunity to proactively um, put things into place or do things that otherwise you wouldn't know because nobody tells you. And then certainly, as you know, as each rank you go up, you get less information unless you're deliberately creating those relationships with the people that are willing to sit down and have conversations. And I, I don't just do that with the battalion chiefs. I do that, you know, department wide. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier, like in a small department, there's no excuses. I meet regularly on Fridays with the, with the companies without the battalion chiefs and it's no chain of command. Um, and it's it's a question, give them updates, give them an opportunity to ask questions that they wouldn't normally ask because of the chain of command. Okay. Um, and at no point do my battalion chiefs ever get thrown under the bus. If they have some concern about the way something was done, then it gives me 
the information I need to help adjust my sales at the leadership level with the battalion chiefs. Um, do I meet every Friday? No, I try to. Like it's been three or four Fridays I haven't met because I've been so busy, but it's super valuable. And I learned that from a chief that I worked with for many years. And when I was a captain, he would sit down with all the crews and okay. just, you know, and he wouldn't allow the battalion chiefs in there. And I, you know, and the battalion chiefs know this where I work. I told them, this is what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. I don't want them in there. I don't want you in there. You know, I told them, I said, you're never going to be thrown under the bus. I'm never going to use any information against you. It just helps me adjust my leadership sales with the department and with you guys. And to this day, three years into it, it's, you know, it's worked great. Um, the chiefs understand it. They respect it. Um, they actually, I had one, I just talked to one of my battalion chiefs yesterday. And it's probably, like I said, it's probably been a month and a half since I've been able to sit down with any of the crews just because my schedule is kind of been hectic. He's like, hey, chief, you know, I think you probably need to get out with the crews again. You know, it's been a while. I said, yeah, no, man. I, I, yeah, you're right. I, I've just been missing it. He goes, All right. I just think they, they need to talk to you. They need to share stuff with you across the board. So it's unique that like now we're in three years into it and I've got like chiefs telling me like, hey, man, get, get to the kitchen table with these guys on Fridays. They, 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 you know, they're not going to come to your office, but they really would like to have discussions with you, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so anyhow, that's that's kind of answers your question. In two different areas. OK. All right. Um, and this question, it's either short term or long term, but what are your ultimate goals if you haven't already met them? Well, my, I got seven years left, so I'm doing 10 years with this department. And okay. uh, whether, I wanna, whether I want to leave or not, I'm leaving at 10 years. And I say that because um, I'm, I'm going to go on to the second part of my life with my wife and, you know, my boys. You know, by then we'll be out, hopefully, you know, starting their adult lives and all that. And I do not want to be this the guy that goes into the 60s, early 70s working in the fire department. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I have other things that I enjoy doing as much as I love this. And, you know, I want to spend every penny of my pensions. I mean, I'm not leaving anything on the table. I've worked my ass <laughs> off for 38 years. I want to go, I want my wife and I to go enjoy, you know, what, what we have worked our butt off to get. Right. With that being said, our, our biggest goal, mine and the fire chiefs here, is succession planning. We have uh, close to 40% of our fire departments eligible to retire in five years. So, and we're expanding, we're we opening a station, just opened a, a company here a year and a half ago, that company moves to their own station in about a year, then we're following up with another station. So we're hiring and expanding very rapidly. So we're going from a lot of experienced guys to, you know, having to promote guys that are going to have limited experience. So our, our, our goals are the succession planning is figure out who's going to fill the ops chief position, who's going to fill the fire chief's position, because he's leaving in five to seven. Okay. Um, and then we have, let's see, two out of three battalion chiefs uh, due to retire. Over 50% of the captains are due to retire. So that's just got this huge trickle effect. So right now we're building succession plans through training, training programs, step-up programs, incentive programs, literally like sitting down and kind of talking to guys, seeing where they see themselves four or five years. We're, we're in a process right now of, of revamping our promotional process for our driver, company officer, and battalion chiefs. And we're building that promotional process around uh, what we feel creates the best person for that position. So we literally had a brainstorming session with a whiteboard and we said, okay, what makes a good captain as an example? What do you mean? What makes what think of your best captain? What makes them? Well, they got to be operationally proficient. They need no strategy and tactics to be experienced. So how do we get it? Well, what do you mean? Well, do they get it through the state classes at the Florida State Fire College or they get it through the fire conferences? No, well, the fire conferences is probably where the rubber meets the road. That's where we see the biggest impact. Okay. So we start marking all these things down. What about leadership? What was a leader? Well, they got to be honest. They got to walk with integrity. You know, they got to be good communicators. You know, they've got to be that they shouldn't be passive. So we start writing all these things down. Once all that's on the board, that's our foundation to build a promotional process. Because the thought process is, is we want to have a promotional, a relevant promotional process that's obviously fair. Uh, but we want that process to help develop, to put the right people in the right seats. Because, I mean, in theory, you can just hand pick, right? But that doesn't work that way. Right. And in, in, in the reality is that probably wouldn't be the best anyways. So we're developing a system that, that, you know, develops the right people for the right positions. And that's a big part of our succession planning and the hopes of that when we walk away, myself and the chief, that this department will be in a better position and will get better. And that's really going to be the tale of our legacy. Most, mostly my fire chief's legacy. I'm a short timer, 10 years. He's been here He'll be here 30 years at that point. But yeah. when you walk away from an organization and you can look back four or five years later and that organization is thriving and is building upon what you did, you did something right. When you look back in an organization and it's actually maybe in turmoil, it's got problems, 
to a certain extent, the leadership that left there has to take ownership of it. Well, they don't have to because they're retired. Some of them don't give a shit. But the reality is, if you're concerned about your legacy and you're concerned to like what you were asking about, about your impact, that's going to be the telltale sign. So all that being said for me, you know, my, my, my goals here is to, is to have a significant impact that when I leave here, that we've positioned these guys in a position where they're just going to build and make it better. Um, you know, and then it goes back to what I said earlier. It's about servant leadership and about serving these guys. Like it's, I take a lot of satisfaction in doing that. I mean, it, it and uh, it can be challenging at time, right? Because firefighters are firefighters, but having the ability to positively impact an organization and people around you is a big deal, man. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in life. You know, I, I raised my children that way, others before themselves. That comes full circle on you in your life, you know? So I'm kind of at that at the tail end of my career. Um, that's, you know, I'm not going into burning buildings anymore. You know, it's, it's a rarity that I do that. But, but what I do do is help develop those guys that are going in there that they're better prepared than hopefully I ever was when I was at their point in their career. Right. So, right. Okay. All right. Well said. Hmm. Well said. Um, in your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter regardless of rank? You know, man, it's I think people overcomplicate it sometimes. It's simple. I mean, you, you just you got to have kind of a passion and a love for it. I mean, that's that's the that's the first and foremost ingredient, I think, because you have that and and everything else becomes a little bit easier. And I, I share this in my classes, too. You know, and I say, listen, look, I want you to think about anybody who's really good at what they do. It could be somebody who's got a successful business and they sell it off and they do another business and they sell it off. It's like, how do they how does this guy is so successful at what he does? The next guy over is, is not. Right. You know, look at look at sports, you know, look at look at, uh, you know, my my kids played travel sports going up, growing up. My youngest played travel baseball, you know, and and the, the difference aside from the repetitions and the things that they do is you see these kids that just love baseball. Like they just every day they want to do baseball. They love it. And those kids that love it excel greatly at it, even those right. that may not have the same physical abilities that are naturally gifted with others, you know, Um so if you look at anything, you look at firefighters, just look at firefighters, pick any firefighter that's really good, any officer that's really good, they will have a passion for it. So that's, that is the first ingredient that you really cannot, you know, make somebody have. It's they, they, they typically have it or they don't have it. Um, the next one, I would say, you know, attitude and initiative. Like, um, you know, I was asked many years ago, you know, if you, as a company officer, a young company officer, I was asked a question. If you could have a 10-year experienced guy who's been to a lot of fires, you know, a lot of calls, emergency calls, you know, um, places I've worked have all been advanced life support, non-transport paramedics. So we do a little bit of everything. Okay. Good paramedics, a whole nine yards. And, you know, but he's kind of kind of at times can have a shitty attitude, you know. Um, you, you constantly got to stay on him on the right track. Or I can give you this probationary firefighter who's got an all-in attitude great work ethic and just wants to be a good fireman, which one would you take early on in my career as a captain? I would have told you how to take the experienced guy, you know, once I gained experience and I gained, you know, knowledge and wisdom. Now I'm going to take the young guy all, all, you know, every day of the week because I, I can't necessarily change somebody's attitude. I can't necessarily change their outlook. When you have somebody like that, really what you're trying to do is you're trying to rent their behavior. You're trying to get them to behave in a certain way for a period of time, because you know, as well as I do, especially for men, when we start getting into our late twenties and thirties, it's difficult to change. Mm-hmm. But you give me this young kid, like we just hired two young, two young kids. And they look like they, they are the age of mine, the younger than my oldest actually, um, which is odd for me to say, because I still feel like I'm young, but I'm not. Uh, but they, they, uh, they're local lifeguards and they are just both 100% into it. And they, and we did some background checks on them and they were the same way as lifeguards those kids are going to be home runs. You put them with the right leadership, they've got that ingredient because we're not going to have to change them. They're going to buy off on stuff immediately. Right. So you know, your attitude and initiative is a big deal. So you know, I've said this a lot over the years. You want to look at a culture of an organization, take a look at their hiring process. The hiring process is going to tell you a lot about it, right? You know, and, and the hiring process where I previously worked and more so here because I previously worked in a city which had a lot of bureaucracy and how we did things. Now, a mm-hmm. fire district is very easy to control because mm-hmm. you're the fire chief that makes the decisions. He reports to a fire board. The fire board is there for one reason and one reason only. That's to support the fire department, unlike city politics or county politics. And what we do in our hiring process is, is we, you know, our, our, our questions and everything are honed in more at the person. When it's not honed in your qualifications, although you have to have certain minimum qualifications, 
But if somebody came in with a big list of, you know, qualifications and you had a guy that had just a bare minimum, you're still on the low playing field because we're looking at the person. We have bypassed people that have experience and a lot of qualifications to hire the brand new kid out of the fire academy just because of his attitude, his initiative, and what we saw in him as a person. So all that being said, we hire the right person to fit into the organization. And then the skill set comes after that. We can develop skill set all day long. We can't develop the person, right? Yeah, right. So that's a very long answer as to what traits I think a firefighter has, but I think that is the very beginning and you get that part right. And especially if they're put with, you know, decent leadership, the sky's the limit of what you, get, what you can get these people to do. The problem what happens a lot of times is we will get those guys and they will get with shitty leadership. Shitty leader. Yep, exactly. And, and you know, and, you know, we, we, we could dig into that. I mean, you could have shitty leadership. It doesn't mean that people are shitty people. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of very poor leaders that are, that are actually good human beings. And we, right. we use that as passionate firefighters at times. Oh, he just sucks. He's worthless. Like, listen, no, the guy's actually a good, he's a good dude. Like he just doesn't lead well, you know, for whatever the reason. And when you take these people and they get around those, especially when they come in, you have a very narrow window to capture these guys. In fact, these two guys we hired, I specifically put them with two of my stronger captains in the department for that reason. I want to capture them. Like even if they only spend two years with these guys and they go to, let's just say, another captain who is less assertive. And I, I don't have any bad captains. Like I, all of them are all of them are great human beings. Mm-hmm. I have some that are more assertive than the others. But let's just say they go to a less motivated, less assertive one. If you capture them the first couple of years they're there, there's a good likelihood that once you capture them, they're going to get better because they're going to want to get back to that environment and surround themselves, whether they go into conferences or they're, are they're, you know, they're doing extra training or whatever the case is, as opposed to bringing somebody in and they get with the less motivated captain. And then fast forward a year or two later, and they're just like not motivated. Maybe the job isn't giving them, feeding them what they thought it was, or they just become kind of that same do the bare minimum type stuff that they've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, aside from getting the right person, trying to get them in the right place, the first part of their career is, is equally important. And again, a lot easier to do in a small organization because right. you can control those dynamics a little bit more, you know? Right. Right. Okay. So, okay. No, you definitely hit the nail on the head there <clears throat> because we're, we're so quick to judge or not judge, but we're, we're so quick to throw out, you know, that's a shitty person. No, they're out of outside the department. They're actually good people, but they're just not great leaders. But I, I I like the way you stated it with how your department does it. But I wish a lot of departments would, would maybe look at the individual before just promoting, you know what I mean? Like, and it, it, it gets tricky when, when it comes to who do we promote and who do we not, but some departments have it right where, they look at more than just certifications. They look at the person's work ethic. They do their research. They kind of ask coworkers, hey, do you think this person is a good fit? And if, you know, some people are like, no, he wouldn't be. He's a great person, but he wouldn't be a great leader that certain departments take that into accountability. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that. So I'll tell you a little bit about our promotional process. Our promotional process right now, the way it's set up in union contract is we have what's called a peer evaluation. Um and uh, ironically enough, the union actually brought that up about seven, eight years ago. So before I even worked here, the fire chief who I was friends with contacted me and said, hey, man, let me tell you what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about doing this peer evaluation for promotional. So what do you mean? He says, well, it's where the peers will weigh in on the person being promoted and score them a score. And I'm like, dude, I said, the union is going to eat your lunch on that. He goes, the union proposed it. And I'm like, really? I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm all ears. Let's see how this plays out. Right. So they, they implemented it, right, um, where you come in, you know, if you're if you're testing for a position and uh, the department, because it's a small department, they get to do a peer eval on you and it's rated. It's like five questions and they're, they're centered around the last ones we did, this last promotion, we kind of revamped them. They're centered around your, your performance on the fire ground. They're centered around your performance on an EMS run because that's a reality is that's a large part of what we do. We're advanced mm-hmm. life support department. Most of our guys are paramedics. Um, it's sitting around it on your leadership ability, your instructing ability, and your integrity, trust. And it, it's got a good dissertation of each one of how to measure them. So the guys give scores, and that score carries a weight of 20% on the promotional exam. Now, here's the interesting thing. I mentioned earlier we're in the process of, of have two committees put together that we're revamping our promotional process. So, and I, we just met a couple of days ago, and the group wants to up that to 40%. 
of the total grade. And uh, so I shared with them a story. I said, well, you know, our last promotional exam we did was two years ago. And one of the tests was for a battalion chief. The battalion chiefs fall outside of the bargaining unit, which means that the union contract does not apply to them. So the chief and I were talking and we didn't change anything in the promotional exam except one thing. We had a conversation. And my chief asked me, he goes, we were talking about the period values. Let me ask you a question. Is do you think if we took a vote of the department who they thought their next battalion chief should be? He says, What do you what do you think the chances are that voted department would be the best person to promote? And I was like, without hesitation, I was like, I think it'd be spot on. Like, right. You know, putting everything else aside. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, your best evaluation is going to be by your peers. And obviously, if people have an opportunity to weigh in on who their next leader is going to be, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. So we upped then, back then, we upped the battalion peer evaluation to 40% three years ago. Um, but the interesting thing is now is that we, we you know, got with, I got with the union president and we created committees. So the union is, you know, has a heavy hand in what we do, heavy hand, not because they push it, just I'm a firm believer in getting them involved as part of the solutions or part of the problem. Sometimes we make poor decisions together. We own it together and we fix it together, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but what's been interesting is that there was no hesitation and did not come up as a recommendation for me or anything else. The guy said, listen, we want at least 40%, 40% on these period vowels. You know, and now we even what we're tossing around is instead of doing an evaluation on five questions is the the idea now is to rank them and to quantify that in points. So if you have, let's say, seven guys testing for the rank of captain, then everybody gets to come in and they get to rank one through seven of who they think should be one, two, three and four based on the criteria that I just mentioned to you, those five question criteria. Right. And they said, listen, that'll that'll make it easier. Um, it'll, it'll make it more fair because by the time you get to the seventh evaluation and you've already answered five questions per evaluation, the guys are already kind of washed. But I mean, and if you haven't really worked with the guy a whole lot, you know, one guy may even give them average score. And then one guy may give them no score. He says, so I can kind of swing it. They were like, well, what about rankings? And I was like, wow, that's interesting, man. So we've been tossing it around. We've bounced it around to some people and everybody seems to think it's a great idea. We haven't done it yet, but we're going and doing that. But the biggest takeaway is almost 50% of the impact of being promoted is based off of your peers. And I, I don't, at this point, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that could be a really, really good thing, right. you know? Um, and it goes into what you were saying about, you know, developing those leaders, right people, the right positions. You know, you could have a guy who's just a great human being, the collectively across the board are like, oh man, he's, I don't think he's gonna be a good boss. You know, he's passive, he lets things slide. You know, he's, you know, doesn't make decisions. He's indecisive, doesn't make him a bad person at right. all. Right, be a great person, but that's not the individual you want leading a fire company. Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, so we'll we'll see. I mean, the peer evaluations have worked good, and I think even when we change, it's going to work better. But we're in a process of doing it. We'll we'll know, you know, in the future how well it works. But it makes sense to me. Okay, okay. No, I like it. I like it, and I'm sure a lot of people listening if, would would like to see the department maybe implement that or try that because that is an awesome way. Because we all know. Uh, we have individuals who really don't do anything, kind of skate by, hide in the shadows, sit in the recliners. But as soon as promotional time comes up, they're out there doing this and that. And it's like, where has this person been? But they're only doing it just to get the position. Right. We're, we're trying to we're trying to eliminate that. Well, I don't want to say eliminate it. We want to make it to where those that are getting better at the job are going to be rewarded for it. So right. when we start talking about measurements and point systems. So as a point system, we have a bonus point system that gets added on until your final score. Um, and that point system, if you look at it, it varies from rank to rank. Okay. Um, and, it, and, it, and the reason it varies is because each rank has specific different things that make them better at that particular rank. So one thing that we're moving to doing is we're, we're moving into measuring fire conferences. Um, so fire conferences, everybody agrees. And, and here in the Panhandle, we're very lucky. Mm -hmm. we have a bunch. Like, in the southeast between driving to South Florida and driving up to, you know, the the Atlanta area and driving over to Louisiana. And then here in the paint, you know, here in my area, we, we put on four major ones. Okay. Um, so these guys have access to them within driving distance to like 15 to 20 legitimate good conferences. And what we've seen over the years is that really makes a difference on, on how good of a fireman at each rank it becomes. So we're like, OK, well, let's measure it. Let's measure it and let's reward it. Because if we are telling, if we, if we are acknowledging they're going to conferences makes somebody better and we can see it and we're convinced that's it. And why wouldn't we put it in a promotional process and measure it at a bare minimum? 
whether they get promoted or not, it's given them the roadmap of things that we know that if they do, it's going to get make them a little bit better at what they do. So we, we've taken things like conferences as an example, and we put it into the measurement where you actually get rewarded for it um, in your in your promotional process. So we're doing we we haven't finalized any of it, but we're doing a lot of the outside box. We're looking at professional portfolios okay. to do what you mentioned earlier about measuring the commitment, the type of person, what they've done for the organization over the course of their career, as opposed to a guy who, you know. Comes in, does a good job, punches the clock, but he never does anything extra. Doesn't work overtime, doesn't right. volunteer committees, doesn't come in for maybe PR events or anything like that. These portfolios are a way to kind of measure that. So the ones that do, again, will be rewarded for it. The ones that don't, like the guys just wait for the test to come up, it's going to be a lot more difficult. They're going to have to get on the department's program, which ties directly into our culture and what we expect if they expect to move up the ranks in the fire department. That's kind of where we're going with it. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and last question, in your opinion, what do you think the American Fire Service can improve on? <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, if I had to nail it down to one and there's no good answer or solution to it, is it um, somehow, some way? God, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to word this, to be honest with you. Uh, we, we have we have to get better. And, and I know that sounds weird because we have been getting better I mean, this this podcast is an example. I mean, you wouldn't have seen this 10 years ago. And there's a lot of them that have a lot of great information of guys that are learning. But the the ironic thing is in fire service-wide, you still see a lot of the same levels of complacency. You're like, well, how, how do you, I mean, you're saying that, but how do you measure it? Well, I'll tell you how we measure it right off the bat. It's line of duty deaths. You know, I mean, we've been recording those since the late 70s. I want to say 77, doesn't matter, for a very long time. Right. Yet the numbers have have remained um, fairly consistent, and then when you look at the stats on why it's happening, those have remained fairly consistent. So the question you got to ask yourself is, you know, if if the chief officers in the fire service valued you know accountability over loyalty a little bit more, and they held made training the type the top priority, you know, would would it make a difference? My argument to that would be yes. Now. How can we do that? I have no clue because it's a fire service thing across the country, right? You know, fire departments talk all the time about training as their top priority, but if you really dug into the weeds and you looked at most organizations, the reality is that it's just not. It's not. You're you're right. Like the oh, I did some research and and not to cut cut you off, but um, you know, if you look at a fire department's budget, the usually the last category that gets money is training and you know, to me that is backwards that is terribly wrong it is it is it doesn't it doesn't make sense you know and, and that's usually a lot of times the smallest a lot of times the smallest line items and it's usually one of the first line items to get to get you know cut yeah when things get tight um and the ironic thing is is uh everything we do revolves around preparation and, and we talked about culture and building culture here and when I came into Midway, I was fortunate because they had a they had a good foundational culture. I didn't have to tell guys to put their gear on the floor to get ready for the next call, you know, as an example, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but but definitely what we've done here is that we really you know refocused on what our main mission is, and that's preparation. Um, and even even here, I mean, we have so many things we're responsible for, man. It's still even difficult to put preparation on the forefront. I mean, just the, the dynamics of Right now, as an example, in Florida, the heat index is like 108. I cannot have my guys out in 180 degree heat, you know, um, and I have to pull them back. I mean, I've literally sent an email out two weeks ago. Guys, heat index, drink water, stay inside. And if you're going to do something outside, do it at night, in the morning, do it very quickly and get back in. Mm -hmm. um, so e even on your normal challenges of creating that that preparation culture, you still it, it's still tough, uh, tough to juggle. But that being the case, in my opinion, most departments don't have that outlook that preparation is your highest priority. I've been, it's funny, I've been criticized in the past, especially as a battalion chief, of, you know, the perception of my guys getting out of work because we're training. And that's really not the truth. It's just the training took priority. So if we had a vacant and we had a training session coming up, but we had something on the schedule as a battalion chief. Nine times out of 10, the training would trump it. And then we would get to the other stuff when we got to it. Sometimes we didn't get to it. Um, but in my mind, you know, missing out on a training opportunity, you know, is, is uh, 
It doesn't make sense because everything you do revolves around this preparation. And then you can take it further. Go, well, you know, you got all these things. Okay, that's fine. Well, what if you're going to get your kid? What if tomorrow you're going to get your kid? Are those mask up times are important, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that practice mm-hmm. important. So why are we having this discussion? Like, I understand everything else has to be done, but if we take, if we can agree that preparation is our top priority, then we can help adjust the schedules so that we can meet that more often than not. Most fire departments don't do it. And then the larger you get, it becomes virtually impossible. A buddy of mine just retired and moved up here. He's from here. He retired from Palm Beach County. It's like a almost a 2,000 man department. Tell me how you control that in a 2,000 man department. Right. There's no way, man. Right. You know, uh, but yeah, to not to just keep rambling on, but I don't know what the answer to that is. But, you know, I, I do know that in the fire service, we do value loyalty over accountability more. And that's not a bad thing. It's just trying to find that balance. That's the great thing about the fire departments. You know, the fire services, there is a sense of loyalty, but we blur those lines very quickly. And in the process of blurring those lines, sometimes positions are people more to fail than succeed at, at many levels, at mm-hmm. interpersonal levels, at operational levels, you know. So it's a tough one. I don't know what the right answer is other than, you know, a lot of times I encourage guys to promote because they're frustrated. And, you know, if not, it's like, not, if not you, then who? Like, who's going to make the change? Who's going right. to bring that, that passion and that want to make things differently? Right. Or you sit back and you don't, and you let the next guy get promoted who doesn't have the same view as you. Because the reality is, is when that leader gets in there, you're going as the speed of the leader, whether you're, whether it's right or wrong, or whether it's good or bad. I mean, that, that's where that's what you're going to be stuck with, you know. Yeah. So, right, right. Um, that actually, this would be my last question for you because you kind of segued into it. Um, being a a chief officer, do you believe in order to affect change within your department, you need to promote? To affect significant change, yes. Sure, yeah. Not not to affect change. You can affect an enormous amount of change. Okay. Um, when I say significant, I guess let me define that. You know, operational type stuff, right? Um, the way, you know, the way that the, the battalions run, um, certain standards set by uh at the company level, that's a lot of stuff that's tied into guidelines and policies and operational cultures that start at the top, that processes are put in place to support them at the lower levels, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. When I took this job, one of the things I didn't realize is how much administrative work goes into supporting the operational aspect of what our vision is and where we want to go. There's an enormous amount of it. Now, to affect that type of change, right? To affect, like, if you have a captain, as an example, that's frustrated and thinks the department should operate slightly different or the battalion should operate slightly different, or maybe there should be certain things. It's like, yeah, man, promote. Like, be a part of that senior staff that's helping doing the strategic planning. Like, we want your input as captains, but the reality is if you have a seat at the table, you have that opportunity to affect serious change at the upper level. Now, where does the other change come in, which is really, you know, one would argue that's equally important, is at the company level. You know, I've got guys, as an example, you know, I've got you know, um, captains and our we, our lieutenants are our drivers. We call them lieutenants, but they but they drive and they ride up when the captain's off. So we have officer ranks and non-officer ranks that are making significant change in organization by coming in and actually providing extra training outside of what they do on shift. And how is that promoting change? Well, when you have a, an operational culture like we have, we, we promote that and we give the platforms for those guys that have those skill sets to help change things department-wide that's a big deal. So you have, let's say, lieutenants, drivers that are coming in that are doing classes on things that the entire department is learning and that we're except we're setting a standard. I'll give you the first example. We didn't have a we really didn't have much driver standards when we came in. And it varied from battalion to battalion. Some were a little bit stricter than the others. Some was just like if you learn how to drive, you pump a line, you can drive. Right. Never the best thing to do. Um, so we came in and immediately developed a whole driver's program. And I didn't reinvent the wheel. I did a lot what I was exposed to in my last couple of departments I worked at. But part of it was a driver's academy. It was a pretty comprehensive task book that you have to go through. And then you have to test out process. And then we added an incentive pay and on top of it. So that the guys are all, you know being rewarded as well. But here's the point I'm getting at. A lieutenant and a captain are the guys that propose the idea. And I said, great, perfect. I'm on board. I've been in departments that have done it. Let's do it. So I let them build the program. I helped them teach it. I helped them get it running. The first one, after that, I pulled back. And now they've owned it. They've run it. And now they have set the standards. So the question comes is, where did that come from? It came from a lieutenant. Let me back up. I only want to say lieutenant because when people say lieutenant, you think in a company officer. It came from a driver. Right. And his captain. Right. And at that level, they were able to affect change. Now, take it a step further. We do pro- probationary training. 
So in the state of Florida, when you get hired, you already go through the fire academy of the state. You typically come in with your firefighter EMT certification and your firefighter paramedic certification. So they've already had 700 hours. They're state certified. They're cleared by a test. doesn't make them necessarily a fireman, but it gives them the bare minimum standards. When they come in with us, uh, they go through, you know, five days of training, you know, and it's all hands-on, 10-hour days. And basically, we're showing you how we do things so that when you get on a rig, if you catch your fire within your first hour, at least you have a good a good understanding. We take those events and we're bringing in our firefighters that are teaching other firefighters. So what does that mean? Well, that's affecting change. I had a guy that taught this last time. He's been here 13 months and he is a young, go-getting kid, smart. You know, he's already been to like four or five conferences his first year because we let guys go to conferences while they're on probation as long as they're doing what they need to here and they're approved by their officers. He clearly, clearly has an enormous amount of potential in this fire department. He clearly could be one of the leaders if he chooses to at some point as he goes through his career and wanted to be involved teaching give him the platform. There's affecting change right there. You have this young 13, 14 month old, 13, 14 month on the job firefighter that's teaching these brand new probationary firefighters. That's affecting change. So yes, I mean, it's a long winded answer. Can it be affected without promoting? Yes. Can it be affected organizational wide and maybe make the changes that, that you may want to make, you know, at 15 years in? you're limited to what you can do at your rank. That's, that's the reality of it. You know, it's just like hitting a lid, like the leadership, but there's only so much and a big part of having those platforms to share those ideas. And as Scott Thompson would say, sell it, don't tell it, you know, and you got to have those platforms to do that. Most departments don't have a platform where they can sit down. We do here because I'm open to it and I encourage it and I push it where we can have discussions with the ops chief about all kinds of things, like bring something to the table. We will bet it. And if it's better, or if it's what we need to do, I will make it happen. And when we make it happen, if it's a mistake, we will fix it together or we will take it back out of the cards. It doesn't matter. Most departments, I'm not, I'm not saying that to pat me on the back. I don't mean it that way at all, but most departments do not run like that. So in order to get that platform, you do have to promote up to a certain extent. Certainly in large organizations, 100% you have to promote up. Okay. You know, you go on my buddy, you know, Jason down in Palm Beach County, you know, I mean, he was a captain and he had a limited ability to change things at a captain's level because he's one of several hundred. Right. The report to, you know, God knows how many other district chiefs, you know, battalion chiefs and district chiefs then deputies and assistants and fire chiefs. So certainly in a smaller organization, you have the ability to affect a lot more change or at a lower rank. Um, but to affect some of the operational organizational changes, you're definitely in much better position when you promote. All that being said, I don't want to say you can't. I just think that you are a much better position and most likely you're able to do that. Right. right. Yeah. No, totally get it. Totally get it. Um, I totally understand. I just wanted to, to to hear your reasoning. And I like hearing different people's reasoning on whether yes or no. So I, I totally get your 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 viewpoint on that. And if you if you got good leaders too, you got good leaders that identify those people that are change makers and that they they easily have good, you know, a handful of them at a firefighters level. You know, what I'll do to them is I'll reach out to them. I mean, I will, you know, I'll encourage them. Hey, man, you want to get involved in this training? What about this conference? You know, and and I'm, you know, I'm kind of pushing them in the right direction. They probably don't even know it. And I'm already eyeballing them to bring them into things that we're doing. Right. You know? so whether it's probationary firefighter training, specific training. We have a, a lieutenant, a captain that has been going to FETN several times. They've been coming back and putting on classes based off of the information they're learning at FDTN. You know, so drawing those guys, as soon as they come back, it's like, hey, man, you guys want to, what do you think about doing, doing some training? Well, we can do that. I was like, hell yeah, you can do that. Let's, let's talk about it, you know, yeah. but reaching out and, and as a leader, creating platforms for those guys, you know, to affect change, you know, because it's motivated for them. I mean, they say they see value in it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and of course, getting into a rabbit hole, but as a leader, you, you, you gotta, you gotta know which ones are the right ones to do it too. Not, it's not, you know, everybody's not treated equal. Everybody doesn't get a trophy. Right. You, know, you got to bring something to the table because you just can't put somebody in a position to start teaching the fire department with no credibility because it's going to backfire on you. So there, there, there is some strategic placement and development that you're doing as a leader when you're sizing people up and watching what they do and seeing what their strengths and their weaknesses, you know, building their weaknesses, encouraging their strengths, pushing them outside their comfort zone and learning a little bit, challenging them. And before you know it, you just, you, you just start seeing them grow. And for me, Going back to one of the questions you asked, that's motivating to me. It's exciting to me. I take I take gratification out of seeing guys get excited and man, I never thought I could be one of those teachers. You know, yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Like, it ain't as hard as you think it is. Like you know, so 
yeah, man, there's a lot of, a lot of great opportunity at, at, at all the levels, you know, especially if you got, you got leadership that, that encourages it and empowers it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that's, that's all, that's all the questions I have for you, chief. I just want to let you know though, that from listening to you on other interviews, other podcasts or watching videos, it is absolutely refreshing to me and it's gonna it's kind of two-sided i hate the fact that you're 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 on your way out but i definitely appreciate the fact that even though you're a chief officer you have never forgotten what it's like to be the boots on the ground so many chiefs out there and and i don't want to i don't want to say so many but at least i know of that there are few chiefs out there who forget that and don't remember what it's like, aren't as passionate, aren't reciprocating to hear from lower ranks what we need, what departments need to do. So I just want to say thank you for um, for having that mindset, for having that passion, because it is from a firefighter's perspective, looking at you, it, it's awesome to see that. Well, I appreciate that, man. That's that's a that's a wonderful compliment that any any chief could get, and I really appreciate that. And I and I, that's. What you described is the way I look at it and, and will be to the day I retire. So I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I appreciate you for coming on, taking your time out of your schedules to do this. Um, when I heard that, that when I watched the video of you uh, underneath your, your, your pool thing, I was like, this, this, this right here is um, yes. It's, it just, it needs to be heard because that message with your children's standards resonated with me and several other coworkers of mine who who are like minded, um, and I, I'm gonna shout out his name. Uh, my my buddy Jeremy Gilbert is a huge, huge fan of yours. So I know he's gonna appreciate this um, uh, this interview that that we just conducted. And I just want to say thank you. Yeah, man, awesome, awesome. Tell Jeremy to keep pushing, man. Yeah, you yes. reached way back. That was an old video you talked about. It's been around yes. a long time, but yes, yeah, sir. Man. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you guys, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. It was good yeah. to meet you. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, buddy. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.